when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need what you need before you even ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Some translations don't have that uh, doxology, but I quite like it, so I'm going to leave it right there. Okay? So, with this, um, uh, I my heart, and I, I want to really, instead of aim for the head so much today, last series in 2 Peter was pretty heady, <laughs> but today I really want to hit you in the heart. Uh, I just want to come and, and hit this as much as I can. And I feel to do that over this um, next uh, month, uh, December. We'll have a little time out just at Christmas and then in the month of January. And uh, I just feel uh, with this that um, uh, we want to see an outworking in our world. It was great to hear the testimonies of Kev and the guys and uh, a real outworking uh, where the kingdom actually touches our earth. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Touching Heaven, Changing Earth. I'm sorry for the cliche-sounding title of this series, uh, but I, I just couldn't think of anything better. And uh, I've spoken on these passages of Scripture before, but I want to set this up for where we want to go from this passage of Scripture. You know, it's my heart that, um, that we see our world touched. Uh, if we come to the vision statement that Sue and I have carried here, uh, Laurie's was very similar with Billy Nudgel, so it was very easy to accommodate uh, both together. But uh, our passion is to build a safe refuge of generous worshippers uh, who live for God's glory, and that through that we'll be able to teach and facilitate God's people. And it's all based on Ezekiel 34 and these incredible verses out of 1516, where God gives his call that he is the true shepherd. Some people, some churches I go to, they call me pastor this and that. And sometimes I tolerate that and other times I don't. <laughs> if I'm going to be really honest, if people start calling me that, I usually find out what they do and I can't start calling them Plumber Joe. or So they get the point pretty quick. If you understand what I mean, it's because it's a function. It's something that someone does. It's not my identity if I can put it that way. And in the church, if I can really say, Jesus Christ is the true pastor. And I pray he's the pastor of this church. Uh, if he isn't, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> so I'll just give it to you right up front. But with this here, when God says that he is the pastor, um, he goes, this is his heart. And that's to seek the lost. And that's just not here in Byron Bay Shire, but here and the world. Uh, to see the scattered restored. You know, there's many, many scattered. Byron Bay is full of scattered believers, full of it. Uh, and, and they are scattered for one reason or another, disappointments, hurts, various things. And so rendering them ineffective for the kingdom of God. And I want to see uh, basically there that people will be bound up broken in heart. They'll be made whole. Uh, you know, that's a process, you know, sanctification, all those sort of things, that there would be healing for the sick. And, and that's not one-dimensional. We just don't just believe in divine healing, but um, in a holistic way that people would be healthy and whole uh, in every way. But thank God when we su do see divine healing. I still can't get over that miracle that uh, I thought I saw. Was Ronnie here? I, I I, I thought I saw him out of the corner of my eye, but possibly not. But their mother, when she got healed, I've never seen anyone ever survive pancreatic cancer and totally healed, and not only that, healed of dialysis. That's a pretty heavy combination. To be honest, I, I, 
all the years, I have never seen anyone come out of that position into wholeness. I've never seen it. Um, and, and that happened in Billy Church, what, 12 months ago or something. And, um, but my, my heart is to see those things as well. And also the proclamation of justice. Now, if I went to all of you and I ask you, uh, do you disagree with any of those points? I don't think anyone in this room would. Uh, to really be honest, your passion is to see the world changed. If it's not, um, then maybe you better measure your spiritual pulse. Is because uh, we are there to see our world affected, to see our world changed for the better. And so with this here, um, I really wanted to just come because our earth and our world is never going to change until we touch heaven. And as a matter of fact, I remember years ago, um, I, was, I was asked to run a first ministry school. The guy defaulted who was before me, and I got pulled into running a ministry school. And, um, and I never set out to do that. And I thought, oh, I, better, I better read some books of other people who have done things like this. And I got Spurgeon's fattest book on lectures to my students. And I went, whoa, it's going to take me 10 years to get through this anyway. And, and, and then I got Charles Finney. And I, I read his, uh, I think it was something like lectures to my students. And I was shocked. I read Finney's book. And he started with prayer. And by the time I got to the middle of the book, I was still on prayer. And I finally got to the end of the book, and it was just all on prayer. And I went, dear God, this was meant to be a ministry school book. And uh, it took me a while to sort of get his drift and point. But what he was trying to say in the whole book is um, the work of God is achieved in private. That's where it's won or it's lost. And, uh, and so it took me a while to understand these things. And, and because of that, of course, it's got to lead to all of our hearts as well and to the heart of the church. And, and so uh, I did a series back here in 2007, if I just come here, and, um, called Clouds of Incense. It was a 10-part series on prayer. And I still believe some of the content was, at that time, I believe very good and, and a huge blessing for people, particularly as we looked at the key areas of prayer, of expectation, perseverance, thanksgiving. And we did those messages on fasting. Uh, you know, usually we're not a fan of that in practice, um, but it's a, a tremendous key in the economy of God and when it comes to prayer. Now, I don't want to go over that material again. I do recommend it. I think Ken and Roz just told me the other day that we're going back through that material uh, there. And, um, and I, I believe, you know, a lot of points there. But uh, they're so valuable. But I didn't want to go over that ground. And I wanted to come and I wanted to just bring it back, right back to what Jesus said. And in simplicity, uh, in... Um, in just uh, the succinctness of the way that Jesus can say things. And so this is why I've termed a Sermon on the Mount. Of course, Sermon on the Mount, um, uh, just an outline to the point where we read today, uh, is very warm. Uh, you know, even Gandhi loved the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's probably some of uh, you know, the warmest teaching that's, in fact, within the New Testament. Yet there's such a systematic uh, brilliance in the arrangement of the way it's put together. And so it actually begins with stairway into the kingdom of heaven, not the stairway to heaven. Uh, we're not Led Zeppelin here, but, um, but uh, Jesus presents the stairway into the kingdom of heaven, what we call the Beatitudes or the blessings. And that introduces the sermon and then the influence of the kingdom of heaven uh, you are the light, you are the salt of the world. And, and then it moves into the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven, quite a lengthy section. And then in chapter 6, it turns to the devotion of that kingdom or that righteousness, how it works out in our devotional life. Now, Paul, uh, not Paul, Jesus. <laughs> I'm elsewhere in my head this morning. Um, uh, Jesus then gives the real practice of how Jewish people outwork their spiritual relationship. You must remember that Matthew's gospel was written to Jewish people. You always read it through Jewish glasses. And, uh, and so this was arranged for Jewish people, and particularly 
in this area of how they saw their spiritual life connect to their world. And that was in three areas. Arms is prayer and the issue of fasting. Actually, all religions actually, in one way or another, touch those points. Islam, well, all three, and, um, and Buddhism will touch all of these, and uh, etc. Uh, but with this here, the way Jesus puts this, he goes, when you give alms, it's not if, it's when you give. In other words, if you're a disciple, you, you're going to be a giver. Uh, when you actually uh, go into time in prayer and when you fast. It's, it's not an option. Uh, it, it's actually should be a part of our world and our life. Now, uh, we read from the issue of Jesus' teaching on prayer, of how to touch heaven and how that will then impact on earth. And so that is where we've come from in context, um, uh, just to show where it sits in the whole passage. But I want to come and I want to now start to just introduce the whole thing of prayer. Whenever I turn to this issue, it's something I believe Christians should regularly turn to, but it's nearly impossible to teach. Uh, And the reason I say that is because I've always said is prayer to the believer should be like a fish in water. You should live your whole life in that environment. Uh, and a fish doesn't study that environment. It doesn't study, you know, you know, H2O, and it doesn't understand. It's, it just lives within that world. And for a Christian, our whole life should be lived in prayer. It's pretty obvious. This is what I want to say. Not all prayer is effective. That's what I want to say. You know, if you survey most of the Australian population, most of the country prays. Did you realize that? Including, even when they've been surveyed, atheists will at times put down, at times they do pray. Now, most people pray. You know, you can take uh, uh, an animal and you can frighten it. And usually they'll respond in instinct how they were created to be. So a deer, if frightened, or a little impala will leap and run. You know, you can frighten, for example, a a, a spiny anteater. It'll instantly roll into a ball or it will dig into the ground. It's it's, it's instinct response with fear. You can take, um, let's say, a bird. You frighten a bird. A bird will fly instantly. It's its instinct. and uh, you, can, you can look at all of the animal kingdom, but when you turn to a man, when you frighten a man, is a man will instantly, instinctively move into prayer. That will be his response. So the truth is nearly everyone prays. And it's not a fact, uh, you know, of encouraging people in this room to pray. It's a case of positioning people to be effective in prayer. How do you really touch heaven to change earth? That becomes what's really, really important. And so I always use this concept of a fish in water. We just live, we breathe, we live in that world. And for the Christian, we should live our whole lives within that environment. In fact, when you turn to it, your spiritual life began in prayer. Uh, You know, uh, Ananias was told in Acts 9.11, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is. That is the true definition of a converted man or a woman. You know, we can lead people in a prayer, let's say at the front of the church. doesn't mean they remain praying people. They had not converted. Is People are converted is when there's some transaction that's happened in their heart and they begin to be a praying man or woman. And I know what that was like because I was heathen and I never prayed. And I remember the first time I ever did pray. And I knew what a paradigm shift that was for me in my life. So our spiritual lives really began in prayer. They continue in prayer. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray uh, at all times without ceasing. In, in other words, you know, we don't, not in a perpetual prayer meeting, but our whole lives should be orientated in prayer. Every, every moment should be praying without ceasing in a way. And if we're really honest, you can, in life, you can strip everything away. And in life, everything will eventually be stripped away. But the last thing you'll have is prayer. And, you know, you might remember the thief on the cross 
there that was with Jesus. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Last action he ever did in life was prayer. And isn't it amazing? Jesus said, truly today you'll be with me in paradise. His last prayer was actually answered. Now, with that there, uh, all things there, in other words, should be lived as a believer in the environment of prayer. Now, I want to carry my fish example a little bit stronger if I can, because it's very pertinent for what I want to say today for us all. In the 1990s, um, Sue and I lived at Bonville, uh, which is between actually Coss Harbour and Bellingen, and uh, which put me in close proximity to the trout streams up on the tablelands. And uh, I had uh, had an experience where when I was in the Department of Agriculture, I was in Walker one time doing some work, and a district agronomist sold me a fly rod for $5.00. And I, I thought, oh, well, you know, five bucks, where can you go wrong? So I bought this fly rod and I had all the fly gear there. I just threw it in a cupboard. And I did nothing with it till about 1993. And I had a visitor who I knew uh, from the United States who called in to see me. He was Danish and he married an English girl and they lived in Denmark. And he came and he opened my cupboard in the spare room and he saw this fly rod and fly gear. And he goes, is there any trout here? And I said, oh, I don't know. I heard there might be some up on the tablelands. And he said, oh, would you take me? Would you please take me? And his passion was fly fishing. So I threw, grabbed the rod. I, I put the things together. And uh, I, I, we got any fly fishermen in the room? Anyone's ever done that? Just a little. Well, anyway, I, I took this guy, this Danish guy, up. And I didn't know anywhere better to go. I just went to Bubby Ball Falls. And he, he just started throwing this fly rod around and I sat there and watched him. And wouldn't you know it, the next thing he caught a jolly trout. He caught this trout. And I went, this, this, this works. <laughs> and as I watched him, he, he caught a few more fish. And, um, and what he was doing was very simple. And I thought, oh, I reckon I could do that. And so after he left and he went back to Denmark, I, I took that fly rod up and I gave it a go. And wouldn't you know it, I caught a fish. And, and it hooked me right in. And, uh, and what happened is I bought a better fly rod. And then I loved it. Sue hated it because I'd disappear all day. And I'd just drive up and I'd get uh, this, the, have these things of waders. And I'd get up in one of those mountain streams that flow right up, right up in the high country. And I tell you, everything's still. And it's just still as. And it's just you and a mountain stream and some fish. And, you know, I loved it. I, I, I got really passionate about my fly fishing and, 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 and it was close proximity so I could even duck up after church sometimes. I'd duck up and put the fly rod into action and, and, uh, and, and Sue hated it because I'd disappear at about 4am in the morning and arrive home at about 9, 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> but I tell you, I loved it. I just loved it. But I began to learn a few things about fish. See, to catch fish, you've got to understand the behavior of fish. Now, more than once in the New Testament, the Bible calls us fish. You might remember Jesus might have said this, I'll make you fishers of men. Okay. Now, with this here, I became quite passionate and I began to learn that fish position themselves in a way uh, for health and vitality. And if you can understand that, you can under literally read where fish will locate themselves. And that's what a really good fisherman does. It's the difference between a novice and someone who's actually, uh, you know, knows the game. He actually thinks like a fish. And, and there he goes, where is a fish going to position himself? So the novice will just cast a line anywhere. But the real, real guy that's real trained, he gets to read and understand how fish tick. And this is what I found as I was, uh, got in my little passion for a while there with trout fishing was that fish actually position themselves for health and vitality. The first area that they always position themselves in is with food. And for the life of me, I do not understand believers who do not position themselves the same way. First Peter, uh, there, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow respect of salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now, can I, can I just say, there's no way I'm going to position myself where I'm not getting fed, can I say, by the Word of God. I'm just not going to do it. It's because 
I know fish, and fish will always position themselves for where it's going to be the greatest source of food. But there's another very big thing with fish. And uh, it took me a little while to learn this. But fish position themselves to oxygenated water. You see, fish don't divide H2O and then breathe the oxygen. It's actually oxygen that's dissolved in the water. And for trout, this is very important because cold water has the highest oxygenated uh, water, which means they are at greatest vitality when they sit in a certain temperature and with that water that's highly oxygenated. Um, those who've had fish, like this young fella, in tanks, you will know one thing about fish. If you've ever had tank fish, that oxygenated water becomes extremely important because if it's not, what happens if the fish are, are positioned incorrectly? They grow languid, lethargic, and in fact, if it's not corrected, they will die. And that is the fish's dilemma. And if you've been certainly an aquarium-type person, you'll understand this, that you've got to really attend to that, that that fish is operating at highest vitality. And, um, and the fish will position itself like a trout in a mountain stream to that oxygenated water. Sometimes it's the head of the pool, sometimes the tail. Sometimes they'll sit down at a certain depth because that water is the water that's going to position themselves to the highest vitality. Now, this is an area that for all of us as Christians becomes paramount because we position ourselves either incorrectly or correctly for vitality in our spiritual life. When your spiritual life is actually running at maximum, you've usually positioned yourself for the highest, can I put it this way, the highest oxygenated spiritual stream that brings vitality to you. Now, no church meeting is going to do that. There's no song, there's no music, there's no, but uh, friends, you can position yourselves correctly in that stream. And that brings vitality and it brings life. Now, unfortunately, many people do not position themselves correctly. And they wonder why their spiritual lives are languid, why there's no life, and they're lethargic in their life. And friends, to be honest, if you are lethargic in your spiritual life, there is no way you're going to influence your world. It's when you're running at, my, at absolute vitality spiritually it cannot help but overspill and affect the world around you. So with this here, Jesus, I believe, very well knows this as well. And what happens is Jesus begins to teach, as he teaches on prayer, how to position yourselves for maximum vitality. How you can position yourself in prayer that as you touch heaven, you will literally change earth. Now, as a lot of believers do not change their world. They do not change the world around them. And it's not because their church is, is doing things wrong or right. The issue is they are positioned incorrectly. They're not running at vitality. And, and they've become lethargic. And if you're like Tim, it's a horrid thing when your fish start going belly up in the tank. As, uh, Tim will know this story well. He sees all his money floating to the surface. <laughs> now, for believers, it's the same. Now, can I just say it's the same for a church? It's exactly the same. So what I want to do, I want to just come with all of that. I just want you to hold all of that thinking in because I'm going for your heart. That's where I'm going for today. Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. This is the introduction verse to this chapter and it goes uh, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven now very well known verse and we must remember that Matthew's gospel is written to Jewish people and of course the whole thing is directed to that audience and so it's arrangement and order has been arranged for a Jewish audience now as I mentioned Jesus will begin to talk about arms prayer and fasting 
And so prayer is what we're looking at there today. Now, those three issues are issues that too also work in our life and our world. And we either position ourselves correctly or incorrectly. Did you realize some people position themselves incorrectly to giving? Do you realize that? As soon as giving becomes a chore or, or, or a duty to you, you've positioned yourself incorrectly with giving. Okay, You can position yourself, obviously, incorrectly with prayer. That's my whole point. But you can do it also with fasting. Did you realize you can position yourself? I cannot understand that. Why in the world? And we've got a fast coming up in February, 21 days. Why would you position yourself for a 21-day fast if it does nothing? <laughs> I don't want to go there, man. 21 days. By the time I get through that, I want to see some effect. Um, but unfortunately, people can position themselves wrongly. Now, with this here, the Jewish world were very involved in prayer. They prayed three times a day. Morning is afternoon and evening. And Psalm 55, 17 is just one example of that. Every day they prayed the Shema, which was Deuteronomy 6 and, and uh, there, um, uh, verse 4 to 9, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and etc., etc. And they'd pray a couple of other scriptures that relate with the Shema. They'd pray 18 prayers which every Jew does that every day. He prays these 18 prayers at these times of prayer. They would pray in the synagogue, and it was a part of their whole world, uh, like fish within water. They didn't think any other way. Now, unfortunately, Jewish prayer and devotion, particularly that of the Pharisees, had drifted towards formalism, is what Jesus is actually uh, challenging here, and which where people usually position themselves wrongly, particularly Jewish people. And they hadn't become neglectful of prayer. They positioned themselves incorrectly. So it led, when people position themselves incorrectly, there is no vitality, there is no health. And people become languid, stale, and on their way to death. Now, with this here, there are a couple of important words in this section. And we need to come to them. This word, uh, Hippocrates, uh, in the Greek, or where we draw our English word hypocrite, uh, mentioned three times in verse 2, 5, and 16 in each of the three sections. And uh, it refers to someone who wore a mask in a drama. In actual fact, if we come to verse 1, uh, it says there, and I'll just read this again, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. And the Greek there, uh, theami, uh, is this Greek word where we draw the word theater from. Okay, a theater. Now, you know the Greek word. And so, uh, in other words, do not be a drama player in a theater concert. And so the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson caught this beautifully. He says, be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might make a, be a good theater, but God who made you will not be applauding. <laughs> I tell you, some people say Eugene Peterson's translation is not a translation. In fact, there's times it puts it, you cannot put it better. And um, he captures it so wonderfully. Now, the other key word is this word, which is very important for us now. And it's the word secret or cryptos. And it means hidden or private. Hidden or private or away from eyes. And it's mentioned six times in each of the three sections on arms, prayer and fasting. Verse 4, 6 and 18. And so those two words become extremely important in what Jesus is saying in these three applications. The application we are looking at, of course, is prayer. So let's then come uh, to look at what Jesus says. When you pray, in other words, the inference is you will be praying. In fact, as I mentioned before, most people do pray. And it assumes, as a believer, all of you are going to pray. But not all people position themselves correctly. So prayer becomes ineffective. Now, with this here, in verses 5 to 8, if you observe carefully, Jesus does something fascinating in the pronouns. In verses 5 to 8, all the way through, it's you, 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 you. Uh, or your, your. In fact, I've got the numbers of times, 16 times. In those four verses, is you and your mentioned. You got that? The moment he begins to talk the model prayer or the Lord's prayer, it's all our, 
us, we, our, us, we. And it'll be mentioned eight times. Now, that's highly significant. Is because what Jesus is doing here, as he begins to talk a prayer, he begins with who? You. That's his emphasis. And what he's saying is, the effectiveness of prayer begins with you as an individual. Now, it'll lead to corporate prayer, where there is a now, a we, and an us. And in this series, we're going to be looking carefully at that. But what happens here, the issue is you and I. And in fact, whether we have positioned ourselves correctly. Now, Jesus has nothing against corporate prayer. The book of Acts is full of it and various others uh, there are full of corporate prayer. But the principle of prayer must be established in the individual in secret before it ever overspills into the public. Let me maybe put this in a picture form. So Jesus' emphasis is on you. Every one of you in this room is an individual. Are you positioned correctly or are you positioned incorrectly? Because it will lead to vitality or it will lead to staleness and death, one or the other. Now, with this, only when the individual has established this principle can it overspill into the family. And prayer should always overspill like an overflowing cup, firstly from an individual, then into the family. Then it should overflow into the realm of disciples. And then it should overflow into the church or the public arena And the last one it overflows to is the world. That's how prayer should work. And so Jesus' emphasis is on the individual and that prayer should be established here in my heart. And it should be established in secret. This is what he says. And then what happens before it ever gets to any public arena? Now, we need public prayer. We need to pray corporately. Uh, We need all of those things. But the emphasis is you. The emphasis is me. Now, this now leads us to the two main ways people position themselves incorrectly, that they become languid as believers. The first one is what I call the way of the law or the way of the Pharisee. It's when prayer hides behind hypocrisy and it fails to engage the heart. It fails to engage the heart. The second area that Jesus will deal with where people position themselves incorrectly is the way of works or the pagan understanding of prayer. When prayer becomes currency and it fails to engage the mind. So what happens... Jesus deals with both. You begin with the heart. God must have captive the heart first, and then you must engage the mind. Unfortunately, many people do not engage the heart correctly, and they do not engage the mind. In front, so for some people, they think it's a virtue not to engage the mind in prayer. Well, friends, you've about fallen right into the pagan way of praying, which will position people very badly in this area. So let's take this there a little further. So let's come, the way of the law, the Pharisees. Now, this is the failure to engage the heart in prayer. It's positioned wrongly. Now, Jesus says here in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, people that wear a mask. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, it's pretty obvious. I think we're very familiar with that. The hypocrites uh, wore religious masks. They were into ostentatious prayer. And what they did is they misused prayer for a performance. And again, this section of Eugene Peterson is just beautiful in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 6, 5, out out of the message. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in the box seat? (laughs) Oh, mate. I'd buy it. Anyway, I've bought the message a couple of times. It's a great translation. I love it. Now, beware of religion, friends. In other words, we've got to really beware it. 
is because what happens, religion has this tendency always to move towards formalism. And with this, it's the way of the Pharisee. Now, we sit back and we can comfortably uh, criticize the Pharisees. To be really honest, if I was living in the first century, um, I think I'd like to have a Pharisee as a neighbor. Okay? They, they, they lived in a way that they're good, right, fundamentalist wing people, and they'd make a good neighbor. They're not going to throw things over your fence or try and steal your mail or do stuff like that. Everyone got the picture? Now, with this here, we criticize them, but as soon as prayer becomes that the only place you pray is a church setting, a public setting, before others, or in some way there with, you know, that's what keeps you afloat in prayer, friends, you are in the way of law. You are walking the path of Pharisee. You have totally positioned yourself wrongly in prayer. So, can I call a spade a spade? Will you allow me? If the only time you've prayed is this week in worship, you were there. You hearing what I'm saying? It's, 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 what Jesus is saying is the issue is it's not coming here to experience God. And what happened in your private room is what determines what happens with God. Now, I don't want to be harsh, but, but the issue is we quickly condemn others, yet in our own lives we can also live the life of a hypocrite. Now let me tell you, uh, I was only this week, I was doing a Bible college down in Cos Harbour and there was one student there and they spoke up because they were raised under hypocrisy. The only time they ever saw prayer was in their home or in a public setting. Friends, there was nothing that transferred into the inner room and it's hypocrisy. And when people position themselves that way, they position themselves into hypocrisy. Now listen to it. Jesus said they love to stand and pray. That's interesting. They love to stand and pray. There's nothing wrong with standing. Normal Jewish people always stood when they prayed. There's no problem with that. What's the problem is they love to pray. Um, do they love God's presence? Is that what they've loved? Oh, no, no, friends. They have loved something else other than God's presence. They've actually loved, uh, in other words, the public setting. They love the rapport. And what happens is they stand at the street synagogues and street corners, obviously speaking to a Jewish world. The synagogue was a normal public place of prayer. There's nothing wrong with that either. But what happens for the Jewish person, uh, sometimes they would get busy and at the call of prayer, a uh, trumpet would go, and I mightn't have got back to the synagogue in a public setting. How inconvenient, or oh, how convenient, what a great witness will be. I raise my hands and I pray to God in the middle of the street. Now, friends, that is what Jesus is speaking of there. Uh, probably the picture of this is in Luke 18, 11 to 12. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, um, here he stood. He was standing. He was praying. But um, <laughs> the whole thing revolves around who? Him. He loves him. That's who he loves. And, uh, and that's because he loves him. That's why he is in church. Uh, and that is a major problem. And so people position themselves problem wrongly is when something else is motivating them to pray. Can, can I just say this? <laughs> I'll bring this back to the Pentecostals. The only time you speak in tongues is in church. Friends, you wear the mask of the hypocrite. I'll just be honest with, with, with the whole thing. And we need to call spades, spades. And, um, and so Jesus says a prayer. I say to you, they've received their reward in full. <laughs> they got their reward. Uh, accolades and, and responsive people, but it does nothing to change earth. Absolutely nothing. Now, what happens, um, obviously Jesus is going to correct this, and so he does. And in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room. The ESV calls this. Shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I think you can see the key words coming in here. Uh, we've dealt with the word hypocrite. Now we come to the word secret, secret. Now, what happens here? He says, go into the room. The New American Standard Bible says inner room. The King James closet. And it's this word here, uh, the Greek word. And I will say, you don't know it, but uh, tameon is the Greek word, and I'll just explain it for you. 
This word was an inner storeroom or a treasury room. Treasury room is a good translation. Luke 12, 24 uses it in that instance. In other words, Jesus says you need to go to an inner room. In other words, the secluded, windowless, lockable room that you can shut all the world out. That's what he says to do. All disturbances, all distractions, all the prying eyes of men. There's one room that God has, a secret room, that he's never going to make public to the world, ever. And it's this room if you have it in your life. Because it is the room between you and God. Now, I'm not speaking anything profound here. I'm not making big, profound things, but I'm going for your heart. That's what I'm really going for. It's because we all need a place where we have an inner room, where we shut the door and we retreat with God. Now, most people believe that Jesus actually uh, took this from uh, Isaiah 26.20 and in the, particularly the Greek version of this. Come, my people, enter your chambers, Taimon, uh, and shut your doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed. And there's a possibility Jesus did that as he takes this word, uh, ta-mayon, is uh, uh, pronouncing it correctly. Now, with this here, um, with this, it can be used for treasure room. And uh, there's a verse I love here from Isaiah 45.3, and it says this, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hoards in the secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by, um, what is it? By your name. So God calls you to the inner room, the treasure room. And your Christian world, as far as making a difference, is won or lost with that room. It's true for me. And this is why Jesus goes, you, 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 you. And so he looks at every person within this room and the question that we've all got to ask is, there must be an inner room before there ever is an outer room. There's got to be. Now, for some of you, this is just obvious, but the strength of Jesus' own prayer life, it staggered the disciples. They saw him praying. They saw him praying publicly. They saw as he healed, as they saw, as literally Jesus changed his world around him. But over and over again, they saw him in the private room. Uh, Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. You know, Luke's gospel gets fascinated with this, and Luke over and over and over again records this private inner room of Jesus' life. Not even the disciples were privileged to enter into that room. Only very occasionally did Jesus even bring them into that room. Peter and John a couple of times, but by and large, they didn't. It affected the way the disciples would pray in the book of Acts. Peter, uh, for example, Acts 9.40, puts everyone outside, and then he prays for the situation because he learnt from Jesus the power of the inner room. He learnt this, and he learnt there was incredible power to change the world outwardly, but it's one first in that inner room. It's either won or lost in that inner room. And public prayer should only ever be an overflow of private prayer. And so what goes on in that inner room is secret. It is absolutely secret. In that room, God will never reveal that room to the world. But let me tell you, every other inner room in the world will be revealed. Have a look at this scripture, Luke 12, 2-3. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the private rooms tamayon what you've mentioned there in that inner room god is going to proclaim to the housetops everything you've said about everyone i tell you that changes things god will make every other inner room public but there's one inner room he never will because it's that secret room that where jesus is going for our hearts he says, that needs to be established. And we are never, ever going to change our earth. We're never going to see our world change till we touch heaven in that inner room. You doing okay? All right. 
Now, so Jesus then just says, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is going to come back, obviously, to a term that we need to look at, Father, Abba Father, uh, the way Jesus would have said it in his Aramaic tongue, um, which we'll come back to later in the series. And this word secret, uh, cryptos, this word hidden, uh, it needs to be hidden, is there's one part of my life that none of you are invited, and that is that in a room. Now, I don't know how it works for you, but I know how it works for me. For me, um, uh, how do I shut the world out? I'm just going to be as honest as I can. I've got to go and walk. For me, i just got to walk. And the best time for me, if I'm not surfing, and I'll do it another time when I'm surfing, but I get up and I walk and I shut you out. I shut the world out. I shut everyone out. And that is my inner room with God. I'll, I'll greet someone on the way as I'm doing my path around the lake and up over the hill and around the mountain and around the other way. But that is my inner room and you aren't invited there. Occasionally you will be. And the issue is <laughs> I would not want to be speaking this message if this was not a part of my world and life. You, you hearing what I'm saying? Because that would be ultimate hypocrisy. Now, with this here, that inner room is either the strength and it positions you for absolute spiritual vitality. Not the, not the depth of the preaching, not how articulate the preaching, not how far you think you feel and experience God. The word feel, feel, feel. Praise God for feelings. I thank God for it all. But when I say this, it's the way you position yourself for spiritual vitality is in that inner room. That's where you win or you lose in changing your world. It's in that place. Now, with this here, uh, Jesus says, this is the secret room. For you, it might be sitting on a beach. For you, it might be on a mountaintop. I don't care where it is. For you, it might be literal closet. Sometimes I literally do this. I remember one time in America, and I was working when I was there from sunup to, to sundown. And I had no time to pray. I, I, I was in there, and the most funniest experience, I'll never forget this. I'm in a room full of international students. Okay, They're all people like me, my age. And I just couldn't get any time in prayer. And I went, blow this for a joke. Uh, this is robbing me of my prayer life. And I remember all the blokes started to settle down for, for night's sleep. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do this. And they're all chatting away, you know, like blokes do. And they're all talking away like this. And I just got out of my bed and I dropped on my knees next to my bed. There was not another note uttered by them. It just went, stillness. And I knew in the, they were just all going, what in the world? But it was the only time I got, and I got on my knees, and I prayed for all of them, and I prayed for the guys in the room, and I just prayed. And at that time, I allowed it to be public because I couldn't even get it private. You know, amazing thing, there was two guys in that room would get saved and come into the kingdom of God. But it's either won or lost in that inner room. Now, with this here, uh, this um, then it comes uh, this te-mayon, this, this inner room. It's, it's got to be established in your life. If you haven't got this, you are positioned for a languid, dead, insipid life as a believer. But if you position correctly, it doesn't matter how bad the music is or how good. It doesn't matter how much you see things or you don't see things. You're spiritually positioned for vitality. Your gills are filled with the life-giving oxygen of the very power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, with this here, uh, again, I love the message, and i just got to read the whole message here. It's so good. Verse 6, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His Grace. <laughs> Bring it on, Eugene. Oh, anyway, okay, you're not very excited, but oh, I like that. Now, the bottom line of prayer is it must engage the heart. And the heart is either won or lost in that inner room. You either want it or you lose it there. Now, this is how we're to position ourselves for spiritual vitality and health. And friends, 
If you have this in a room, it doesn't matter if your brother Yun in persecuted China who stripped everything away and are even persecuting you, <laughs> your spiritual vitality of health. Anyway, the second area that I want to, oh boy, I want to correct the way of works, the pagan mind. Failure to engage the mind. Now, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, as they think they'll be heard for their many words. Let me deal with this, and I might even cut this short today. But, you know, they think, you know, most likely a reference to 1 Kings 18, the prophets of Baal, who prayed from 9 a.m. to 12 a.m. And when their God didn't answer, then they thought they better start screaming louder. Uh, for those of you Pentecostal, God doesn't necessarily hear you because you start yelling louder. Is that okay? I just thought I'd put that out there. Um, and so they yelled louder, and then that wasn't good enough, so they thought they better suffer a little bit and pay a price. And so, a little bit like some believers, well, I've got to fast. And, 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 and so they pay a price, and they get to the end of the day, and no voice answered. It's because they were totally positioned ineffectively for anything to happen in prayer. Now, a pagan way of thinking is the way of works, and it doesn't engage the mind. Now, this is a novel thought, isn't it? Pentecostals, engage your mind. You hang around me, you'll know you better engage your mind somewhere. Um, anyway, the, the way of the pagan prayer is when prayer becomes a currency. When you think if you pray, then God has got to bring an answer. Friends, you have just positioned yourself into the pagan life. Pagans in superstition to their gods and in ignorance prayed same words over and over again uh, as a currency, as a work that somehow their gods would perform and bring a result. Now, friends, that there is paganism. And this is when you begin to say, I haven't prayed enough. I haven't prayed loudly enough. I haven't prayed diligently enough. I haven't fasted enough. Now, friends, the moment you say that, you've positioned yourself in that place. Now, uh, if we just come here, this word empty phrases, a very interesting word in the original language. But let me read it again from the message. You're going to get the whole message this morning. Is that okay? Verse 7 and 8. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that stupid nonsense. <laughs> ah, ah, yeah, anyway, I think you know I like the message. Um, and so empty phrases. Now, this is what paganism does. And so Tibetan prayer, prayer wills, TMs, mantras, Islam's prayer beads, Catholic prayer beads, uh, prayer books that God's been recited over and over again. This, there's no currency that's going to bring a result. And in vain repetition is what Jesus was condemning. Now, there's times he prayed all night. There's times he repeated prayers as in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's times he encouraged perseverance in prayer. It's not discouraging any of that. But what it is, if we're going to pray to God, we do not barter with God. And you've got to wake up and start thinking about this and get it established in your mind. Okay? So... Um, anyway, I'll, I'll move on quickly. Um, uh, Batalago, uh, the original language here. And so nothing is, there's no way you're going to work your way for a result with God. And if you position yourself there, it is ineffective prayer. You'll see no change in your world when you're positioned wrongly. Okay? So this leads to verse 8. We're just about done. Uh, verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Now, the Father uh, is, is, is not receptive to works. That should be a 101 for a Christian. There's no way we can work our way to God. Why then do we transfer this into prayer and think that somehow, if I get up at 4 a.m. and pray for three hours, that somehow my life... No, no friends, that's a pagan way of thinking. Um, is sometimes you might be better getting a quality 15 minutes in prayer than three hours if it becomes either a work or, or if it becomes something of that nature. Now, with this here then, uh, and you don't pray for your, you know, for your greeds, it's for your needs, James 4, 2 to 3. You do not receive because you ask wrongly because you spend it on your passions. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I won't spend any time there. But I will say this. People then say, why, why in the world pray? Why pray then? Well, it's pretty obvious. is because God 
when you pray and you have needs, it's like a father. He's a father. You are the children. If you're a parent, do you think this guy is not going to provide for his son who he brought home? He's not going to provide for him. That unless his son goes, ah, ah, he's not going to get fed. No, they're going to do everything to feed that kid. But what happens is, in that bringing that need, it brings relationship. And God created you that way. The whole of life is built as relationship. The tragedy of life is dysfunctional relationship. And so Psalm 81 verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You ever seen baby birds? All beak. And those beaks are wide open. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Now, do you think the mother's not going to feed them? She comes. She's going to feed that bird. The issue is, is that bird, is she going to pop that worm right down its gob? But she wants that bird to have an open mouth. God wants you to have an open mouth. Okay? Um, Ask. It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Scripture after scripture on that there. And so the issue comes that we are to come in prayer as it builds our relationship with God and God delights to answer our needs and in answering our needs we come to know him as his sons and daughters and he is our father. And I tell you, when dad turns up, it's a good day. <laughs> anyway, um, and so reasons for prayer. And, uh, and then we're going to have communion. And those who are going to have communion today, if you just get that ready for us, please. It establishes a relationship between you and the Father. Get your mind right. Get it, your thinking right here. It destroys independence and creates your total dependence upon God. Let me tell you, that's a good thing, just there. And it involves us totally in the plan of God. Because the God doesn't want to change this world without you. And the fact is, he's ordained it that you need to pray that this world will change. And he delights to fulfill it. He aligns us to God's heart. It aligns us to God's heart. And we'll get to fit. And that, that's where you move into what is known as intercession. And it establishes a man's dominion. Uh, that was never revoked in Genesis by God. And so we are to see our world change. Perhaps John Calvin, if I can read this quote, Believers, do not pray with a view of informing God about things unknown to Him, or of exciting Him to do His duty, or of urging Him as though He were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse, uh, uh, arouse the, themselves to seek Him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring uh, them into his bosom in a word, that they may declare that from him alone that they hope and expect both for themselves and for others all good things. Oh boy, you got that right. And so the bottom line of all prayer, we've got to engage our minds. So God goes, Jesus goes first for your what? your heart, then your minds. And so in this way, we position ourselves for spiritual vitality. This is when you'll be running at your maximum vitality in God. And you've won it or you've lost it in the prayer closet. That's where it's won or it is lost. In fact, if there is no prayer closet, you are spiritually dead. And you need resurrection if we are going to come into full life. Now, let me end this way. Jesus says then, pray like this. And this becomes now our outline for the whole of this series of how we touch heaven to change earth. You know the prayer, and I've touched on this before, but just it's in two parts. Uh, one part working godly, one working humanly, uh, our Father in heaven, on all the way through. Let me put this slide. Uh, I should do this just before we finish and we have communion. But you know that prayer I read of Luke 18? Have you ever noticed this about the Pharisee who stood out front and was praying in Luke 18? Have a look at the pronouns of that prayer. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed 
Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Everyone picked it up? (laughs) He's praying to himself. And dear God, if I pray to myself, heaven help me. (laughs) And I want you to notice this, that the five eyes of that Pharisee are just the same as the five eyes of Lucifer. Out of Isaiah 14, verse 13 and 14. He said in the heart, I will ascend into heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on the high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, friends, when prayer, you are positioned wrongly, nothing will change. Now, this leads us to this prayer. And it just works as a ladder. And it goes from heaven to hell. Have a look how it works. Our Father, God is Father, you are child. Hallowed be your name. You stand with the cherubims to worship the holiness of God. You become worshipper. Your kingdom come. God's Son is on the throne as King, and you have now become a subject of that kingdom. Your will be done on earth. He has become Master and Lord, and you are now His servant. Give us this day our daily bread. He is your provider, and you have become a beggar who is absolutely dependent on every need of life in God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. God is forgiver, and you are sinner. And you are forgiven by God. And then when you go down the ladder, forgive us, lead us not into temptation. God has become your deliverer and will save you from being a greater sinner. And then it goes right to the very evil one itself. And it descends right to hell. And that's why I love the doxology. Because it climbs right back up again. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, and ever. Amen. Let's stand. Let's take communion. And as you take communion, can I just ask you to do one thing as we finish, and you're free to go in your own time. But friends, today, I'm going for your heart. I'm going for your heart. And friends, you have either positioned yourself by vitality and health or you've positioned yourself with languidness and, 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 and insipidness in your spiritual world and life. But you ever notice the Lord's Prayer? It's all our, we, and us. Thank God for our brothers and sisters. And I want you to pray with a brother or sister beside you as we finish today. And I want you to take communion. I want you to thank you for, for them. Thank God for them. And if you... Know that you are not positioned properly in prayer. Can you ask them, please pray for me. Please pray for me that I'll be positioned. So I just want to pray and then God bless you. Go in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. We honor you today. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for this house. Lord Jesus, I just pray for Lord, your spiritual life to flow through the very soul of this child, through the very souls of the lives of your people here. And I pray that you'll position this church for spiritual vitality and health. Father, we literally, as we touch heaven, we would see the change on earth. And Jesus, that you would be glorified, exalted, honored. Father, I pray that you bless every brother and sister for the glory of your name. Jesus, we eat and drink to remember what you have done for us, to position us correctly to the glory of your name. Amen. God bless you.
Jim.